Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. This is Justin Hahnemann. This is the ContenderCast. And our mission is simple, to shine a light on bright ideas. And today you're getting four of us. It's going to be an epic uh, ContenderCast. And we are talking about one of my favorite topics, uh, leadership development, culture, and just kind of the organizational components of that. And and we've got both Monique with me today. Hi, honey. Yep. And then two of our great friends, uh, Tony and Teresa. So Tony Delosio and Teresa Hargrave. And I am so glad that you guys are joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> so happy awesome. to be with you guys. Awesome. Well, um, let me start by giving a little bit of background on Tony and, and Teresa. So uh, first, Tony, uh, and, and actually, we'll start with one interesting fact about both of them. They both work together um, at different points in their career. And we're going to talk about that today and talk about the the um, elements that go into that. Um, but Tony is a PhD. He formerly worked at McKinsey and at Duke University. He's actually at Georgia Tech today, which I'm very excited about, um, leading the leadership uh, class there in the business school at Shellard College of Management. Um, he is really an expert on leadership development, culture, change, et cetera. Got a great new book out we're going to talk about a little later in the podcast. And then Teresa, uh, also a partner with Charter Oak Consulting Group and focused on leadership development. I, I really want to dive into this with you and we're going to talk about that topic today. And also you are the chapter chair for WPO, both chapters here in Atlanta, right? Correct. Women's Presidents Organization, which Monique is a member of. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So here's where our roadmap is for today. Um, I want to talk about the business of leadership development, coaching, assessment, kind of that whole area. Talk about culture. You guys play in that every day. Um, I want to hear kind of your backstory and and how you got to where you are in your careers. And I want to help our audience understand you know, the tools that are out there and how they've evolved over time. Uh, I know many listeners of our podcasts are in this space or want to be in this space or touch this space. So you guys are the experts on it. I'm really looking forward to, to having that conversation. So let's start with how did you guys meet and how did you guys used to work together and what are you doing today? Well, I think I'll start us off. Tony looks at me like, how did we meet? And <laughs> actually, we have a pretty good story, I think. It's, um, it was many years ago, like 20, <laughs> 20 plus years ago. And I was doing work with a consulting firm here in Atlanta. And we were doing the strategic planning to raise money for Eggleston Children's Hospital, which sure. uh, has changed names and changed focus many times. But we were doing a big capital campaign for them. And the my chief client there kept talking about their shrink and trying to get me set up with this guy that was consulting with them, their psychologist. And he used to call me an industrial strength psychologist. Nice. <laughs> no linkage to IO psychology, right? I mean <laughs> And I and I honestly didn't think that Jim, our client, would really pick out the kind of guy that I would be very interested in. And I kept putting it off. And finally, he said, just go to dinner. And I remember I was so casual going into this and so laid back. And then I got Tony starting to talk about what he is involved in, in his work. And I went from someone who was really back in the chair to on the front of my chair, like really moving into the conversation because what he was working on appealed to me so sure. much and really interested me. So 
Why don't you well, say a little bit? I was in the front of my chair the whole time. <laughs> Good answer. No question in my mind that she was interested in me. She didn't have to open her mouth. And were you guys working in the same space at the time or not well, so much yet? It is interesting because I was working in a philanthropic leadership here in Atlanta. Yep. And it was all about the top C-suite of people here throughout Atlanta who I was working with. And it was a study of leadership. It was seeing... You could tell who was going to be very effective at raising a million dollars here or 200000 there or not at all. And you could see the people who followed through, who cared for people. It was such a study of leadership. And it was where I really began to be captivated by how, how leaders are effective or ineffective. Sure. And then Tony, yeah, you... At that point, Eggleston was... Uh was just sort of evolving and they were they had a you know obviously a great brand but they weren't a business and right. this was uh, they hired alan geyer who was a former mckinsey partner i had worked with and alan became the ceo and alan's job was to create a business out of eggleston and that's what was, was my role i was sort of helping him do that wow okay and so were you already in this whole leadership yeah, development I had business started my firm i think it was seven or eight years before that the charter of consulting group, which was in Hartford, Connecticut. And I had I met Alan through a stint that I, I had in New York City with McKinsey, where I was asked to uh, help them to start their change leadership practice. Okay. So you guys met. Passion for leadership over here on Teresa's side. You're already in the business, Tony. So then what happened? Well, it was interesting because at that time, Tony had brought um, Franklin Covey, actually it was Covey Leadership Center, in to right. work with the... A name most of us should know. At Stephen right. Covey's yeah. work. And uh, Tony had brought them in to work with the senior leadership team at Eggleston Got and it. was very turned on by the work and started teaching me about it. And it was right when The Seven Habits had come out. Sure. And A book probably most everyone has read. And it, and <laughs> right. it totally excited me to want to learn about it. And Covey basically took that book, right, and created a training program, development program for, and Correct. others around it, like Speed of Trust and other that, things like that, yeah, right? Yeah, I bet that around that time, I think somebody estimated about 70% of the Fortune 500 firm companies in the country were using that training. Wow. Wow. From Covey. And, yeah, from Covey. And, and we, we got so excited about it that we literally got on an airplane and went out to uh, Provo, Utah. And met with Stephen and met with a couple of the top people there and uh, told him that we, you know, wanted to work with them. And, uh, and I remember, I remember they said to us, uh, you need to, uh, you need to study and learn the seven habits, you know, before you can really do anything. Right. Uh, or deliver it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so we did, we studied it intensely for, I don't know, six months or so, we had study groups that we were running and got really into it. And then, um, well, why don't you say what you well, did? Well, I left my consulting practice right. to In start. Yep. Uh, we moved to Connecticut to, um, to be married and to take care of children that were there, uh, <laughs> nice. that were Tony's kids, yep. and to start the Covey Leadership what do we call it? New England Leadership Center. Yeah, New England Leadership Center. So almost Center. like a branch. It was yeah. like, area, a franchise. Right? like a franchise. So you were the delivery arm for that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. For the New England yes. area. Yep. And so what kind of timing are we talking from dinner on the edge of your chairs to married and living in Connecticut? 
Not long. <laughs> I'm moving very fast. <laughs> we had decided to be married Several on months. our third date. I love nice. It. I think we were first date though. Yeah. So I mean, we yeah, got we were a little <laughs> slow. Yeah, Tony knew. <laughs> exactly. I think you knew on the first date. It took yeah, me I knew the third date. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was within. It was within several. Months. As soon as yeah. she yeah. mentioned Covey, it yeah. was like you're all in. And okay, we so. were working together pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah. That's sure. great. And uh, and did that was some of the most meaningful work. Mm. I still use the work of the Seven Habits and Principle Centered Leadership. Love Teresa that. actually was handpicked uh, from about, oh, there were probably 50 or 60 people who were doing the training worldwide, and she was handpicked to head up the uh, Principal Centered Leadership Center out at uh, uh, Sundance, Utah, and worked with some of the top people in the country, uh, world, really, in that over the course of many years. I was working on the other side of it. I, I had the idea that there were a lot of organizations who were doing the training, but that there was an interest on some, about maybe 10 to 20%, that they really wanted to go deeper and they were actually wanted to immerse themselves into the culture of that work. Sure. Not just be trained by it. Right. Not and just so, get the training. So I convinced training. Stephen, because uh, Stephen was kind of a person who was more of a teacher. Sure. And I was doing more organizational work. And so I convinced him and they, they basically hired me to develop uh, what they later we later call the principal centered leadership change process, Interesting. and it was a culture change initiative within organizations that were very motivated by this particular type of work. It was particularly uh, meaningful work because the people who were attracted to it, who were leading companies, were really incredible people. I'm sure they were just solid, salt of the earth people. So let me ask you this question. I mean, I I think most people listening to this podcast have read that book, and it's it's kind of had enduring, you know lasting capability over time, right? So what is it about that book? And then a couple others around it, right? That came out around the same time from him. Like, what is it that really worked for leaders? And wh why do you think it resonated so well? I think because it addressed the personal, the interpersonal and the organizational aspects of relationships. And it was a profound experience for many people. We had countless people. It was one of the most rewarding pieces of work, I think, I had ever done, where you could be guaranteed that when you left after working with individuals for anywhere from three to five days, that they would leave and write you a letter saying, that changed my life. And it was because they were doing deep questioning, deep work on themselves and on all the relationships that were around them. Think of the ripple effect. That's so cool. Yeah. The other thing about the work was that it was, uh, we call it far side simplicity. In other words, it okay. was, it was you, so well developed okay. that it, was, it looked simple when you read it and looked at the framework of moving from your private victory to the public victory. But in order to actually um, deliver on that and live your life that way, it took a great deal of dedication and discipline and very hard work. In fact, we used it as a blueprint for our lives together. Really? And uh, actually, that's where we deepened our relationship and deepened our lives and deepened the meaning in our lives and our relationship by practicing the very you know principles from that work. Okay. So, the, 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 wow, the, this is something I didn't expect to talk about today. So, on the podcast, but um, so tell me what you mean by that. How does that apply? I get it professionally, right? And, you, you know, and I've used it in my own work, but how did this apply for you personally? Well, as we were developing our relationship over the 
first decade of that relationship, we were deeply teaching the seven habits. Sure. And as whenever you, as you both know, because you've been in front of groups, leading groups and facilitating groups that unless you're doing your own work, it is rarely going to be an effective process. So right. you teach what you want and about, right? are really passionate about. Sure. You're right. What you want to learn most. And so as we're teaching everything from l- the listening skills, which it was interesting. Let's just take that one. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Tony had uh, his PhD in psychology. He was an expert at listening. And there are very few people that I know who are experts at listening to another person. And unless you've done a master's or a doctorate or your chaplain or, you, you know, a social worker in some way, you probably haven't had that kind of coaching and development around listening. And that alone can so transform a relationship. And I remember when we were first working on it and Tony kept telling me, I didn't have that one right. You know, that I was trying to solve the problem or trying to take care of things, that I really wasn't listening for open mind, uh, really deep understanding before I was trying to solve. So just that alone can transform a relationship. Can I give you one more example? Sure. So this is one of the biggest decisions we ever made in our lives. But one of the other habits in the public public victory was um, win-win. Right. It was right. think win-win and yep. achieve Which synergy. most people think work, right? I mean, they kind of exactly. go into work mode when they think. But we had a situation where we, we, had, we had a home here in Atlanta. I had a home in Connecticut. And we had these two young kids up in, up in Connecticut sure. from my first marriage. And we were trying to figure out where we wanted to live. And it was a very difficult decision. Very hard because we both had businesses here. When sure. Atlanta was a, a, a huge opportunity for Tony's consulting firm as well as my own. One of the, one of the hallmarks of win-win thinking is being able to hold two polarities at the same time. And this was such a uh, difficult decision for us that we had to apply the very deepest of uh, sort of thinking and process to actually make that decision. And what do you mean by two polarities? For example, the one idea would be if you're, you, you're, your mind is, I believe we should move to Connecticut. Sure. For Which was reason. his mind. Well, that was <laughs> mind. Right. <laughs> to be exact. It's a beautiful part of the country, I didn't but want Teresa, you had a business here, right? I didn't want Teresa to move to Connecticut unless she wanted to move to Connecticut. Right. Yeah. I didn't want her. And that's holding two polarities. He really wanted to move and felt like it was important for him to be there. He had two children, but he deeply wanted me to be where I needed to be. Sure. So that's holding two polarities. So we experimented actually living in that place and this place, and we held it for uh, six months or a year. Sure. And um, we actually pretended (laughs) as if we said that we would take six months. Sure. And pretend just between the two of us, we were moving to Connecticut and do everything as if we were doing that. And then after we experienced that, the next six months, we pretended as if we had decided we were moving to Atlanta. And it forced <laughs> us. Go ahead, Tony. Why well, no, I, I was going to say, I mean, the, 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 that was an example of utilizing the principles sure. that we were teaching. Yeah, in your personal and, life. And in the most difficult of situations. And it really worked for us. And, sure. And now, 
we're process junkies. We right. love processing. Oh yeah. We apply everything that we teach. You like models. We right? love models. Oh, yeah. We love frameworks. We love yeah, tools. frameworks, pillars, so, yeah, towers. Totally. Totally. I love yeah, that. I mean, so. consulting ask, right? <laughs> well, no, I think we could continue. We could spend a whole hour on the seven habits, right? I like sharpen the saw, by the way. Um, all right. So how t- talk about how you guys worked well together as as, as a couple. You know, uh, one of the, the topics Monique and I have explored with different people is, you know, a lot of individual contributor leaders build companies, build businesses, build right things that they work on. Um, but it takes an extra level of like connectivity, maybe seven habits, whatnot, that allow you to work well together. So what's been that um, kind of connected tissue for you guys? Like what's worked well for you guys? Well, I think uh, one of the, the things that has worked well for us is that we're very open to feedback from each other. And when we first started facilitating groups together and teaching classes together, it wasn't always really smooth. I mean, right. I can remember... And uh, you have different personalities, but common interests, yeah, right? Yeah. And different approaches and styles. Yeah. So figuring true. out that yeah. whole model, right? Is, yeah, it takes some work. Sure. It, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of figuring out what we were strongest in doing, where were our strengths, and giving plenty of room for our strengths to come forward. And part of that was figuring out the roles that were best suited for each of us. So would you literally debrief after you got done doing a joint presentation, joint program and say, focus on the what worked? Constantly, (laughs) deeply, (laughs) profoundly, painfully at times. Yeah. And we also learned that we needed our own clients as well. That we didn't want to do all of our work all, together. Okay, got it. So that you was your really own important. Pursuits as well as the joint clients. Yeah. Well, I think we also figured out that, like, I love selling. Sure. It's like, that's my Me passion. Too. I know you totally. do. I love, yeah. I just love yeah. that. And, um, and Teresa loves doing deep work with people individually. I also love systems thinking. Yep. So, as we'll, as we'll find out yeah, in your book in a minute. Sort of, you know, so just kind of look to our strengths. Sure. Yeah. Any moment that was like a major tor- turning point for you guys or any, like if you think back over building the business together, there was, a, you know, defining moments, I'll say one or two that maybe were, were key to helping you progress and, and evolve together. Well, and working together? I, I think there were some huge moments that changed the trajectory of our lives. And the first uh, occurred when both of us were flying literally all over the world every week uh, doing work, many times together and many times not together. And my body started breaking down. It really was not uh, a healthy thing for me to be doing. Tony could handle it. He was great (laughs) at that. And he was what I call a real road warrior. And my body wasn't that. And I remember after having maybe my 10th sinus infection or cold, or I, w- I had developed this horrible illness and I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote out that I'm done. Sure. Wow. I'm taking myself off the road. Wow. And that was huge. And okay. it was sad because it meant leaving Franklin Covey. It meant a lot of things and I had no idea what was next. And it really, I think, really changed our lives in a, a lot of ways for me to go that route. What would you say, Tom? In terms of what was a, a yeah. 
the yeah. Well, one of the things that it, she also Teresa, when we were uh, we had the New England Leadership Center, and she, I had a, uh, I had six partners in my firm. Oh wow, okay. in our firm, and yep. she was one of them, and and um, she, you know, had decided that that really wasn't going to work for her. Sure. And so that was a that was a, a big. So moment. I bought that out and took it on my own. Got at it. that time. So I left. I left Charter Oak for a to while. To do your yeah. own, yeah. To do I own did. Own. Interesting. And I, it was um, it was important to do. I felt at that time that uh, it, it was just everything was too close, and I needed more independence to make some of the professional decisions that I felt were important. And they needed different things. Our goals weren't perfectly aligned, so I ended up buying. Um, that piece of the business and owning that myself and doing that business. I think um, one of the things, uh, Justin, that, um, that, that was a big guiding point for us always was uh, a balance in life and, and personal health. And, sure. Um, we all often that forget was, that though, right? Yeah, I mean, we're all running yeah. pretty fast. But that was, yeah. Go-getters. But, but that was always a touch point for us. And we never, you know, we never really let that go too far. Um, a field for us. Got I it. think that's important. No doubt, yeah. no doubt. Because I think so many people do let yeah. that go don't too lose far sight of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And our rela- and we also held our relationship as the most important primary sure. above and that yeah. was yeah. absolutely the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Let's talk about this whole space of leadership development. So um, most of our listeners and everyone here in this room, right, has have heard of many of these. So Daniel Goldman's emotional intelligence. Uh, Peter Block's community building diagnostic, uh, the team diagnostic instrument, Berkman, HPDI, DISC, Myers Briggs. I mean, I could go on and on. There's all these instruments, right? The Hogan. Where is the leadership development space today versus like when you started in this the whole Covey area? I'll call it. it. Seems like there's there's just another instrument every month that I hear about, or another tool every month, and it seems like also a lot of people have gotten into the quote unquote coaching business. So what, what's your perspective on the industry itself and what have you guys seen and how has it changed over time, and including Monique, because you, you're in this business as well? Yeah, I'd love to invite you, Monique, into this because... <laughs> Absolutely, you guys go first. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so back in the mid-90s, when I was first trained as a professional coach, I went to um, uh, a coach... Like CTI? CTI. Okay, got it. And I think Monique, weren't you CTI well. yeah. trained? Yep. And um, and I loved that, but I had been doing coaching for many years before that because before of becoming, the work quote, unquote, with certified, right? Yeah. Before doing that was what we were doing with the principal centered leadership week out in, in Utah. We were always doing coaching with a Covey Leadership Center, but the term coaching wasn't used exactly. Sure, and. When when I decided to go for more specific education around that, I was amazed with where things were very new in some sense, but very old in other sense. So I was reviewing a lot of things I already knew, but really felt like it was giving me a lot of new angles of how to think about it. And it was fascinating to me to see all the different types of coaching and the different arenas of coaching. Like there weren't many leadership coaches in my facilitator's training. And I, I found personally that my path with coaching, I really didn't want to do after doing it for several years. I recognized I didn't want to do individual coaching. 
it didn't have the same passion for me. But what did have real passion for me was the group coaching experience. And that's kind of where I ended up taking my training is in the group coaching arena. Tony has been doing coaching since he was, I think, first had your doctorate. You just didn't call it that, right? Yes, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> Tony, microphone. Yeah. So, so you know, so my, my sense of it, back to your question, Justin, is that so many more, so many more people are facile with the diagnostics. Sure. And in the courses I teach, whether they, you know, or the programs I do with executives, you know, usually I would say 30% of the people I'm working with have had experience with some form of diagnostic and they love it. They love it as much as they did you know, when nobody knew about it, sure. even though they know it now, they'll want another one. Right. I think people Strength just fires. have this incredible yeah. thirst yep. for, for finding out about themselves. No doubt. Pulling up a mirror. No and doubt. So I don't think that, I think that it's more well-known, the, the idea of looking at yourself in, in these kinds of ways, but I think that people are still tremendously excited about it and are very interested in, in yeah, working with it. I know it. I am. I mean, yeah. every time I take it, I'm always confirming or looking at what might be different. I'd recently took strength finders and I had not pursued that one before. And I've got woo. I don't know. Right. I just learned about right. woo in my right. top five strength. Yeah, I mean, the reality is these assessments shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, right? But they serve to revalidate or reaffirm behaviors that we all know we hold and remind us how to leverage those behaviors and communicate better with others, influence others better, relate to others better. And I also agree with what Teresa said about coaching, because we started coaching years ago before it was called coaching as well. Um, and when we all then went through the ICF program, we're like, yeah, this is what we've been doing. But I think back then, coaching did have a more negative connotation, right? If you had a coach, it meant there was a problem. Whereas right. now, people aren't like making the investment. Performance problem. Right, right. right. People aren't yeah. making the investment. I mean, and, and it's, a, it's a good thing now. It's an investment of, of time and money uh, when we see our executives get coaches. Just one other quick thing. So in my uh, MBA course I did on leadership this semester, we had a couple of diagnostics. One, well, the course, you know, had a lot of components to it. The piece that everybody said was their favorite piece was a piece on emotional intelligence. Interesting. And it was, uh, we used uh, a friend of mine, Tim Clark, has a firm out in Utah. Okay. And it's called the Blue EQ. It's a newer instrument. The difference you can add between- that to my list then. Right? You can add that to your list. Blue EQ, the, I like the, that one. The thing that's really cool about it is it has this incredible readout. That, okay. Like, it's, it sort of gives you so much detail about yourself. Right. And- the kids loved that. Wow. They loved it. Everybody, you know, to a T said, this is like the most meaningful, got so much out of it. And of course, as we know, emotional intelligence is maybe the most important ingredient in leadership of sure. all the different elements to it. Well, and yes, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Tony is now leading a leadership program as part of the business school at Georgia Tech, required course. And cool that you've brought in the instrument as part of that teaching method, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So where do you see the industry going? Any kind of things that you're looking forward in terms of this whole space that you guys are, are sensing or feeling or thinking um, as many of us are, are, we've taken the instruments and like, okay, cool. I got that feedback and I've got the insight on myself and I love it, you know, cause it validates or it's different then, but then 
you know, I think a lot of times people struggle with the oper- operationalization of it or what to do with it. But where do you see this industry heading? You guys are all in it. Well, for one, I, I don't think it's going away. I think I it will get much more sophisticated going forward. I think the various tools that are always being introduced in new and way new ways of using the tools or brand new tools will continue to be developed. And uh, I think that people are always eager to find yet another facet, another doorway for them to look through and learn about themselves. And I think the whole process of learning is being more and more appreciated. I think that coaches are being more and more appreciated. I think that, like you were saying, Monique, that people see it as an honor to get a coach now. It's almost like if you don't have a coach, you may not be that important to an organization as you need to be. Yeah. So now it's almost like, wow, you're not somebody in this organization unless you have actually been assigned a coach. Yeah, I you know, would, and I, I think that people are so much more sophisticated now that, that it's not just about... So before it was sort of like, just get the results and look at it and say, oh, that's interesting, sort of like you would with an astrology chart. But now it's, to your point, Justin, it's more people are looking at how can I, how can I consolidate that? Like, what can I do about it? And so coaches are working with people over a long period of time to actually help them to change their behavior and sure. to improve their leadership. And that people are, the technology that I'm using more so now is more around building uh, longer lasting and real change into the styles and leadership and effectiveness of the sure. people I'm working with. So that's more of an emphasis now, I think, than it was before. I love it. people I, want results. Awesome. And I love that it's part of the program. That you're yeah, exactly. working on too, which yeah. I think is interesting. So my two cents, I'd absolutely agree with Teresa that it's not going anywhere, this whole leadership development and assessments and coaching piece. And, you know, Justin, as you know, we're doing a lot of work with private equity firms these days. And historically, right, that's been all about the numbers, the analysis, the due diligence, you know, are we going to make the right margin, turn around and sell this business in the future? And we're seeing more and more private equity firms bring in leadership coaching, leadership assessment groups to make that part of the due diligence process. So it's about understanding who you're getting and are they coachable as opposed to just looking at the bottom line and the financials. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's more about the diagnostic, you know, how how effective. How are we all going to work together? Be, yeah. And the team, yeah. right? The team of sure. these companies. Yeah, yeah. Last but not least, I want to touch on the uh, topic of change leadership. One of, this is a culture and one of my favorite topics um, in my day job. And uh, Tony, you've just come out with a new book called Change the Way You Change and um, the Five Roles of Leaders Who Accelerate Business Performance. So let's talk about this book and and how you got to, to this place with this book and, and what it's all about. Yeah, well, we, you know, it was interesting. The, the whole journey started for me back in the 90s when I landed at McKinsey and there was an internal McKinsey study that was called uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Great Strategies. So this is arguably you know, the top strategy company in the world. And um, about 70% of the uh, strategy studies were found to, uh, that they weren't, the results were not being realized. So McKinsey was very interested in that. And they, that's how I got involved in this, the depth of this particular work. What we found was that um, the, that, uh, change projects were really just ideas that people had. Sure. 
and uh, or almost an add-on, like change an leadership. Like, yeah, oh, we'll yeah, put that yeah. Out maybe the we'll project. do that. Yeah. maybe we'll do if that we if we funding. have time. But if we have the funding, we'll right. take that but out first. Not, yeah, totally. Just get the business process done. Right? Totally, it's consulting. And, yeah, but the truth is, it doesn't. It doesn't stick most of the time. Right. And so we got interested uh, in sort of looking at in behind the curtain on that and why it wasn't working. And that's really what this book is about. So the flip side is so. So I call it the change dilemma. So the change dilemma is basically that everybody wants uh, change to be fast and efficient. They want it, they have a hundred change initiatives in their company and they want them to go fast and get results. But in reality, everybody knows that you can't do that. But it's sort of like we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and it's just not working. What really what it really takes to make major change is to deeply involve people who are the stakeholders in the process. It means having leadership that is totally committed, hands, heart, you know, and to the whole change effort and are willing to actually put the time and effort into it and teams that are really willing to uh, roll up their sleeves and do the work. And we just don't, haven't really set things up that way in, in change efforts. So uh, that's why the 70% failure rate. Sure. So you outline um, the five roles of, of, of a leader who focuses on change and or actually who accelerates business performance through change. And those areas are focus, alignment, engagement, leadership, and sustainability. I thought it was really interesting how in the engagement area, you laid out the change equation. And what I, I would love for you to share a little bit about that whole emotional cycle of change and how that's how you see that playing out with businesses and why yeah. that was a big focus yeah. for your book. Well, we're, we're, we, we tend to think that change is an inside out and outside in process. So most change efforts are organized by looking at systems and processes and strategy and structure. Um, and that's where they put their money. Our belief is that that's one component, but you have to marry that with the inside out process. And the inside out process is that each individual goes through a personal transformation in order to achieve the sort of behavior changes that are needed, the from twos that are outlined in the strategy. I like those, by the way. I like yeah, the from two. That have, that it, it, we have to be very clear about what the outcomes you're looking for. And results come when people behave differently. And people behave differently when they're working in accordance with the strategy or in alignment with the strategy. So the equation between the strategy, the results, and the behavior is really the critical component. And, and organizations don't change, people change. So you have to work on the people side. And so that people transformation, that people evolving through that emotional cycle is something that needs to be paid attention to, and you can't rush that process. No question. Yeah. And, and I, I wrote it down here. You go from denial to fear, oh my God, to depression. I mean, this is, it's terrible, right? To hope there might be some hope to and then acceptance of the change. Yeah, and one of the one of the uh, easy ways to remember that is you have to move people from um, understanding to acceptance to commitment. Got it. And a lot of times, what happens is that people think because they sort of share an idea about where we're going and how we're going to get there and what the business case is for that, and that pe and they and they that people they think think people are on board, but all they've really done is understood it. They haven't moved toward commitment. And so the, the movement toward commitment is is a, a deeper and more personal journey. I love that. And I also really enjoyed the sustainability chapter where you talked about the four disciplines, 
to insurance sustainability because all of these things are great right around change, but if it's not sustainable or isn't left in a way that allows long-term change, I mean, what's the point of investing in it, right? Exactly. So uh, accountability and building in the social aspect uh, of people working together toward a change and having very clear measures of when you actually get there and what does it look like, not only on the organizational level for results, but also at the personal level. That's awesome. Well, and last but not least, uh, Tony, uh, Teresa and Monique, you guys are part of an organization called WPO, uh, Women's President's Organization. Uh, Teresa, why don't you share a little bit about that organization and uh, what it's set up for? And then, Monique, you guys can talk a little bit about uh, what it, what your focus is on in that area. Well, that's actually how I met Teresa oh, really? many years ago when she joined uh, our Atlanta chapter one at the time, there's now two, as our chapter chair. So I'll let you take it from here, Teresa, and share what WPO is all about. Well, one of the first things I did when I was recruited to start the WPO two chapter here is get together with someone who had led WPO one. And that person happened to be Monique. Indeed. I knew that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So she had had, how long did you do that? Monique? One year. Yeah. And we had, we, we had so much to talk about that first meeting. And I knew that I could pull this off as long as I had Monique in my camp. And she has been there for me throughout these five years. It's been quite a run. Five years already. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Time flies. And, and she has been someone who has been a great mentor for me in terms of figuring out things of how to lead these groups. And that was one of the things I was saying to you is I I recognized I was not really someone who wanted to do coaching on an individual level, but I really wanted to coach groups. Right. And this is a perfect example of a great... It was so perfect. So tell our audience what WPO, how you coach us, what it's all about, what the group is. So Women's Precedents Organization is an organization designed for peer support for women entrepreneurs. To become a member of the WPO, you need to own your company. Your company needs to have revenues above a million, and you need to be actively engaged in managing that company. And we come together for several hours once a month to deal with issues. And those issues can range from marketing issues to financial issues to employment issues, personnel issues, partnership issues. We have taken on so many 360 degrees all around organizations in digging into the DNA of each other's businesses. And as a facilitator, my, my role is to bring the genius out in the group. And that is a pleasure to do when you have women like Monique in the group. <laughs> and there are so many yeah, I've had women. I've to meet many of your group. They're oh, they're extraordinary. Group. They're, yep. they're extraordinary. absolutely amazing. Yep. Yeah. The, the tagline informally, I believe, is, you know, sharing the collective genius of the group. And that's what Teresa enables all of us to do. She brings out that collective genius. And I think it's worth mentioning, WPO is international, right? So there's how many? 125 chapters around the world. Uh, Now, this is not just something here in Atlanta. Right. And we have two chapters here with more that will be grown. 
every member has to own their seat at the table, meaning we can't have two from the same industry in the same group. So every single person around the table comes from a different organization. And that's obviously to make it comfortable to bring up the issues in your own business. And so Teresa, this this probably resonated well with you because of your work with women up front, right? I love uh, working with women in all areas of organizations. And it's really become my passion because I think that we, people, you'll hear people now say, this is the time for women. And I actually think this is the time for the feminine. This is a time for men and women to be embracing a more feminine approach in their leadership. And I happen to be work, working with women who are on the spectrum. Many times they are more masculine in their leadership and they're having to learn what does it really mean to be more feminine in their leadership. You know, I can see the look on Justin's face. This is like a <laughs> second a podcast. podcast. Exactly. I can this. see he's gleaming <laughs> onto I that. Oh my gosh, to to go another 41 minutes. <laughs> I want to come back and, and talk about this specifically. I do. Because well, it's we'll got stop my passion. And we'll record the next one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you guys talking a little bit about the group. And I will. I would love for you to come back and talk yeah. about that. I think that would be an eye-opener for so many people, right? On, on all sides. I'd love to do it. Before we go, where can our listeners find you guys, your books, your companies, and whatnot? Yeah, well, for for us, uh, charter www.cocg.com is Charter Oak's website. And then uh, for the book, change the way you change.com. I love it. Got it here in front of me. Or Amazon. Or Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. of course, always a good option. And so I'm on cocg.com and also womenspresidentsorganization.org. So you can reach us through those channels. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. Our it's pleasure. been a blast. I can't wait to have you back, Teresa. I've got the topic down. Well, (laughs) we have a lot to share. Oh my gosh. All right. We will do another one. Thanks to be with you guys. Thank you both. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender.